Amen. You can open your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew. We are going to be continuing our series, and we are in our last week of our Step Out of Your Boat series. And so Matthew chapter 14. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, there are Bibles in the seats around you. If you're using one of those Bibles provided, you can just turn to page 683. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, page 683, those in the seats there, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, a text that we've read now for three weeks, and we will finish our series reading this text to begin our, our time together today. And uh, I pray that over the last couple of weeks that you've been encouraged, uh, strengthened, challenged, convicted, um, and, and encouraged by the Lord to step out of that boat that you've been allowing to restrict you in what the Lord has for you. And so if you've missed any of the previous messages that we've covered, uh, you can go online, northgoodland.org. You can go on our app, again, North Goodland BC in your app store, and you can find uh, all the messages there. I encourage you to go back and do so. We've journeyed through uh, this passage and a lot of different aspects of it. We've tried to, by the Lord's grace, pull out different applications that we pray would be beneficial and helpful to you, right where you are in your walk with the Lord. And so last week, we really talked a lot about when we're not quite ready to step out of our boat, or maybe we've stepped out of our boat and something happened and we kind of got back in. And we wanted to encourage you that if you're in that situation right now, you're just not sure if you can step out, that there are lessons, vital lessons that we can learn when we're in the boat. And so I pray that you were encouraged by that. I pray, again, if you missed that, you go back and listen to that. This morning, as we're finishing out our series on what has been taking place in this passage, we're finishing out our idea of stepping out of the boat. Uh, I want to kind of key in on, as I've alluded to the last couple of weeks, this idea of the disciples arriving at the other side, that the disciples arrived at the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so again, if you're in Matthew chapter 14, we're going to go ahead and read our text. We're going to read a little bit farther than we've been reading. So we're actually going to go all the way to verse 36. All right. And so I know we've been reading through this text a lot. I pray that you've been, again, encouraged by it, been reading it on your own. What an amazing encounter that the disciples have with the, the person of Christ, a miracle that takes place on the Sea of Galilee. And what an amazing thing it is that they were able to walk through this. So Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. So again, we have to note whose idea was it that they got in the boat and went to the other side. This is Jesus' idea, okay? Jesus, son of God, knowing exactly what he was going to do. He knows how all of this is going to play out. The disciples have no idea because they've got to imagine they've probably done this a few times, Right? They've probably gotten in the boat and gone to their side a few times. I'm going to guess based on their response, it didn't look like every other time this night. That they didn't have an experience like this before. Because they just get in the boat and they just go. Like it's just another day. It says here, And to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So there's a destination in mind, Right? He doesn't just say, go get in the boat and just go around the Sea of Galilee. Just wander about the sea with no destination in mind. No, there's a very clear, distinguished destination. You're getting in this boat, but it's to go to the other side. There's a, there's a point to this journey. 
Verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Can't help but note. I know we've been making these same, similar notations through the text. But again, how's our prayer life this week? Have we spent quality time with the Lord as a follower of Christ in prayer? Have we designated time and said, I know I'm busy. I know there's a lot going on. The kids got a lot going on, work, relationships, whatever might be going on. But have we this week said, okay, you know what, Lord, I'm going to designate this time every morning before you, and I'm going to make a commitment to it. It's amazing. We will always make time for the things that we deem valuable and a priority, whatever that is for you. If it's a hobby, if it's a person, if it's a a thing you really want to be a part of, you will make time for that thing. But if we don't make time for prayer, we're going to miss a day and then another day and then a week. And then we get to church and we're praying. We're going, Lord, it's it's good to talk to you again. I haven't talked to you in a while. This is an example of the Lord Jesus Christ took time to pray. Goes on to say this. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, which if you've been with us, this is between 3 and 6 a.m. So this is, this is kind of in that really late into the night, early into the morning. It's dark. They've been at this for a few hours. Uh, another gospel account implies that they were about three to four miles out into the Sea of Galilee. So they're kind of out a little bit from the shore. Says this, and on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, be of good courage, take heart, take courage. Why is it that we can take courage? Why is it that they can take heart? Why is it that there's no fear? Because he says, It is I. So no matter what storm you're going through, we remind ourselves what? I can take courage. I don't have to fear because he is with me. It is him in the storm with me. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down on the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. Let's pause and praise. When we cry out in a lack of faith, in a doubt, in a struggle, in a storm, the Lord does not rebuke our lack of faith, tell us to get stronger in our faith, and then save us. He just saves us. And then, by the working of his Holy Spirit, by the word of God, strengthens our faith. It says here in verse 31, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship, the other disciples, came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. We mentioned this before. It's vital we understand Jesus receives their act of worship. He does not reject this as blasphemy, as idolatry. He's not an angel. He's not a mere man. He's not merely a prophet. He is the Son of God. And when they give him the worship appropriate to his position as the second member of the Trinity, God in the flesh, he receives it as an act of worship. Goes on to say this in verse 34. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. 
And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent unto all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. I know Pastor Greg prayed, but let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, thank you for your word. It is the firm foundation that we stand upon as followers of Christ. Anybody here today that is gathered to hear my opinion, my ideas, human thought, will leave here severely discouraged and disappointed. But anyone, Lord, who comes in today as a follower of Christ, open and surrendered to say, I just want to hear what the Lord has for me from his word. Lord, we will leave if we have that mindset fulfilled, satisfied, overwhelmed by the grace and goodness of our God. And Lord, it is interesting to me that so many churches in our world today, especially in our country, will gather in the name of Christ, will gather in a building called the church. doesn't matter what sign or what the sign says the name of the church is. And someone will stand and begin to speak. And oftentimes, Lord, it seems as though your word is kind of pushed off to the side. And in its place are motivational talks. In its place are great ideas and strategies and opinions. And, and all of it, Lord, falls horribly short of life change. Because there's only one thing that changes our lives today and our eternity. And that's the knowledge of the word of God. It is the light unto our feet. It is as we grow in the word, our faith will grow. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. It is the word of God that we desire to hear from this morning. So thank you for this passage that we can glean from and draw from these principles and these ideas that we can apply to our lives, again, by your grace and for your glory. Lord, again, would you just give us wisdom in all these things? We're so thankful for all that you're doing. This time of praise and worship has been, Lord, it's just been amazing. And we praise the name of the Lord our God. You did it all through the gospel. You died on a sinner's cross. You were buried. You rose again. We merely respond to what you've already done. So thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing and have done. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we're kind of finishing up this series, the biggest thing I want to encourage you with is kind of, again, kind of following up from last week and kind of moving into the remainder of the text. That even after the disciples had doubts, and fears, by the way, not just the ones in the boat who didn't get out, but even Peter who got out in great faith sank. Even in the midst of their doubts and their fears and all their uncertainty, the Lord continued the mission. That, that's kind of the key part, part or encouragement of this morning's message. The Lord continued the mission in spite of their doubts, failures, weaknesses, imperfections. As we said last week, the plan that God was working remained intact. Nothing changed. Their lack of faith did not stop the faithful one from doing what God the Father had called him to do. He continued the mission. They arrived on the other side. Why is this so important? Because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Jesus did not lie. Jesus kept his word and they arrived on the other side. They did not arrive... They did not journey. They didn't go through the night as they thought they would. They did not know all of this was coming. Jesus did. 
And I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I, I almost kind of ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me what the next few stages are going to be in my life, the next few seasons? Like, I know you said that, that one day I'll, I'll be with you, but can you just show me the next couple of months, the next couple of years? And do you know that God not showing you those things is an act of grace? Because if he did show you what lied ahead, you would quit. You got nope, I'm done. Because here's what we would say. I can't make it through that. I can't endure that. I can't get through that season. I can't lose a loved one and be okay. I'm not going to be able to handle this. And that's the beauty of it. That's the gracious initiative of Christ. He knows what we can't handle. By the way, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. So we can't handle anything apart from Christ, if we're really being honest. But he says, oh, but I'll be with you in the storm. I'll walk with you through that, that storm that you're going to go through. It's going to seem to overwhelm you. It's going to seem to take you down. But if you keep your eyes on me, I will give you strength. Does it mean the hurt goes away? Does it mean the tragedy isn't as tragic? Does it mean the tears are any less? No. But you don't go through those things isolated. You go through those things with the one who is using it for his glory, your blessing, and the blessing of others. I know when we go through the storms, we don't want to hear that. Because we can't understand that. I can't figure out how God could possibly use this horrible thing in my life for his glory. That doesn't make sense to us. And that's why you and I are not in charge. Because we think, just make it as comfortable and easy as possible. Just get me through and everything will be great. But the Lord knows, no, no, to do what needs to be done, I have to strengthen you both through the blessing and through the fire. I have to refine you. And how does refinement come? Not through the blessings and the, and the enjoyable things in life. There's times he puts us through the fire. And the result is a purifying of our faith. It doesn't mean we arrive and we're perfect. We have it all figured out. I've always loved the example of the Apostle Paul. Wrote 13 books in the New Testament. 13 letters. A amazing missionary. Most powerful Christian missionary the world has ever seen. Traveled over 10,000 miles by foot preaching the gospel. Was persecuted, shipwrecked, beaten, in prison. Died as a martyr for Christ. And yet towards the end of his life, do you know what he said to God in prayer? God, would you just help me to know the power of the resurrection of Christ? Would you just help me to know your power in its fullness? If anybody knew the power of God on planet earth in the time of the New Testament, the early church, it was the Apostle Paul. But he was humble enough to say, I've not arrived Read Romans chapter 7, that what I don't want to do, I do, what I do, I don't do, and, and all of that confusion. So the Apostle Paul says, I just want to know Christ more. So it's not that we arrive at some point in our lives where we go, okay, I got it all figured out. And if you're there and you think you've got it all figured out, I warn you and I, guard, I encourage you to be guarded against the attack of the enemy because that next step you take will be into sin. Because what does the Bible say? That before we fall, what precedes that fall? Pride arrogance, cockiness. Oh, I know this. I got this passage memorized. I know this. I know the principles of this. I could do this. Bob. And we start living in our own strength and we forget when that storm comes, we need to desperately depend on his strength because we don't know when the storms are coming. We're just hoping to get to the other side, but he's telling us there's a storm coming and I'm preparing you for it. I'm getting you ready for it. I love this example that they did not disqualify themselves from God's use because they had doubts, fears, failures, limitations. The Lord was not done with them. Especially think of Peter. 
He sank because of a lack of faith. He will deny Christ three times in one night and yet was used to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost where thousands came to Christ, not because Peter was a great preacher. You like that alliteration there? Yeah, that was good. I know, I just kind of came out. Peter, not a great preacher. There's got to be something there. I can build on that at some point. But future sermon. And if you hear that in the sermon, just go, wow, that was so shocking. I've never heard such a thing. Okay. Peter sank because of a lack of faith. Peter denied Christ. Peter was so full of anger at the idea of Christ being taken away, he chopped off a guy's ear in the garden. And by the way, I don't think he was going for his ear. He just had really bad aim, apparently. He just missed. Now, Peter was not someone that any one of us would go, yeah, that's the guy that should be the guy preaching on the day of Pentecost. That makes sense. All of us would have written him off. By the way, most of us would have written off most of the disciples. I mean, the religious leaders did in the book of Acts. What do they say? What do we know about these guys? Here, all we know. This is it. They're fishermen. They're uneducated in religious matters, but they've spent time with Jesus. And what's the result? Well, they turned our whole city upside down. They're preaching this gospel. They're preaching this Jesus, and it's changing everything. You see, the Lord does not abandon us when we fall prey to fleshly fears or doubts. He picks us up, and he reminds us in his grace that he has a plan for you and I for his glory to be revealed through us. And again, I said it before, we are not the best plan, in my opinion. We're stubborn. We're weak. We get misguided, distracted. And yet he says, oh, no, no, you're exactly who I want to use because through you, my grace is most glorified. And that's the God that we serve. That's our Savior. He doesn't abandon us when we get weak and distracted. So in this end of the passage here in Matthew chapter 14, I want to encourage you, and, and really the whole passage, kind of a picture of the lives of the disciples. This is a picture of their lives ahead. So if you want to take notes, you can go on our app. And again, there's a section there, uh, media, sermon notes, find today's date, and you can, you can follow along if you would like. Or if you'd just like a copy of my notes, I'm always willing to do that as well. Whatever we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, we want to do that. So here we see a picture of their lives ahead. There will be seasons of blessing in the lives of the disciples. Seasons of blessings. God worked mightily in the lives of the disciples during their earthly ministries. They were a part of the founding and expansion of the church. We read this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. When we read the book of Acts, we are amazed at the powerful ways that God used the apostles to literally turn cities turn nations upside down. Thousands were saved in the first four chapters of the books, book of Acts. And then following and mixed in among these moments were times of great persecution. I mean, seasons of great blessing. Couldn't imagine, can you imagine being present on the day of Pentecost? And, and Peter's preaching and the disciples are sharing their faith. And all of these people from all these different nations are hearing the word of God in their own language. And they're being convicted and pricked in their heart. And then Peter says, when they ask, what do we got to do to be saved? He says, believe. Believe. And after belief, be baptized. 
And as you do that, you will experience eternal life. Could you imagine being in a moment where thousands of people are falling on their knees, repenting of their sin, weeping, rejoicing, and shouting praise to God because they have discovered eternal life, the thing they've desired all along. These are Jewish individuals who have sought the law and sought to do good and tried to make sure they made it to the sacrifice and did everything that was appropriate. And now they're being told, listen, there is grace to cover your sin, not just for a year on the day of atonement, but for eternity. And thousands come to Christ. Thousands are being saved. Lives are being changed. Homes are being changed. Communities are being changed. And these apostles, humble, mere fishermen, uneducated in religious matters are just, I have to believe, overwhelmed by all this. Talk about a season of blessing. And this stuff happens over and over again. God continues to restore homes and bring people to Christ and and God is doing all these great things and the church is flourishing. But as with seasons of blessing in the disciples' lives, so come seasons of storms. Before the night on the Sea of Galilee, we see an example of this exact picture. So if if you know the gospel narrative and you kind of know what happens here, right before the Sea of Galilee experience, they actually are a part of the feeding of the 5,000. So again, here's the disciples. Jesus, I always feel bad for Philip. Philip, how are we going to feed all these people? Philip's going like, I'm kind of tapped out. Jesus, I don't know. I got nothing. We can DoorDash something, maybe Uber something. I don't know. I, I got no ideas. And Philip says, we don't have enough to pay for even some of them, let alone all of them, for a little bit of bread. And I love the passage where it says, but Jesus said that knowing what he would do. So why did he ask Philip if he knew what he was going to do? He's inviting Philip as he invites us in to be a part of what he's doing. He wants Philip to say, you know, Lord Jesus, we don't have enough money, but we know you can take care of this. We know you can provide for them. And then we love the story, right? Andrew finds the the young man, could have been a teenager, could have been somebody in his 20s, somewhere younger, has a lunch. The Lord blesses it and breaks it. And over 5,000 are fed. And the disciples get to be a part of that. They're watching this take place. They're overwhelmed by what God is doing. I mean, could you imagine that? He keeps pulling out more food, pulling out more bread, pulling out more fish. If you're like, well, I don't like fish. Well, you're eating a lot of bread then because that was what was on the menu. Fish and bread. I mean, I would like some sesame chicken mixed in there, maybe an egg roll, but it's not going to happen. So he's blessing and he's blessing. And he, the disciples, could you imagine? He's, they're handing it out. And they keep going back and going, wait, there's another basket full? There's another basket? Wait, there's, a, there's more? And then they get into the boat. And could you imagine? They're probably still talking about what they just experienced. Can you believe that Jesus just did that? How amazing is this? Man, it's just so incredible to see what he's doing. And they're getting excited about what's going to take place. And then they push out from the shore. Super excited from the day. Joyful for what tomorrow holds. Because if today was 5,000, maybe tomorrow's 10,000 he'll feed. Who knows what Jesus can do? And mixed in with that season of blessing is a season of storm. And now the winds begin to blow and the waves begin to crash. And now the disciples are overwhelmed in fear, completely forgetting the one who put them in the boat, who promised they would arrive on the other side, just fed 5,000 people with a small little lunch, completely forgetting that and focusing only on the situation of the storm. 
You see, they saw Christ provide for so many. They may have been thinking that there was nothing the Messiah could not do. I mean, what's possible for Jesus? Everything they're thinking. And yet immediately following that moment, they went through a terrifying experience. Warren Worsby, in his commentary, absolutely love how he speaks to this passage. He says this, No doubt Peter and the disciples recalled their storm experience with the Lord and took courage. As they journeyed through the rest of their ministry, they thought back to that experience. Every time a great miracle was performed, I have to believe they thought back to themselves and went, well, yeah, but there's a storm coming. Maybe there's a storm coming, but that's okay because he's with us in the storm. Take heart, take courage, be not afraid. And I'm amazed at this cycle of the way that God works in our lives. And I say that to say this, some of you are in a season of blessing right now. Like you just, you're overwhelmed at the goodness of God, of how he's blessing you and taking care of this thing. And you prayed for that and he answered that. And you're just like, Lord, you're amazing. And I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know to what degree, because I'm not God. No one else in your life is either. So be careful when you ask people why you're going through something. You might be talking to somebody that's directing you to God's word. You might be talking to one of Job's friends. You know, if you just get your heart right, if you just do this, you'd be fine. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's the worst advice you can give. We don't know when the storms are coming, but when they do come, what do we need to do? We need to look back. Lord, how have you provided in the storm? How did you take care of me then? Because I'm telling you, in my experience, your experience, and according to the word of God, we grow more in the storm than we do on the shore. On the shore, everything's fine. You're you're comfortable, relatively comfortable, needs are met. It's only when you push out that God begins to allow you to go through some things. Maybe this is why, thinking about this uh, this week as I was kind of reading through the passage, maybe this is why Peter and John react the way they do in Acts chapter 4. So again, remember what I said, Acts chapter 2, there's a great revival that takes place. Later in Acts, there's another great moment where thousands are saved, and so all this is taking place, and then a storm comes in. Draw them before the religious council and say, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. You need to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. You're, you're causing too much of a disruption. You need to stop preaching this. If you don't, there's imprisonment, there's beatings, and there's death. They're threatening them. They're, and these are not empty threats. These are threats that you personally have seen other people be beaten and killed. Your Messiah was crucified. That's not an empty threat. And the religious leaders who had the power to do so threatened Peter and John. Would you stop preaching Christ? They're in a storm. And they know the storm's only going to get worse. But listen to what they say. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. I love their response. You know what? Whether we should listen to you or listen to God, you judge that. You figure that out. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to keep telling people of what we've seen and what we've heard because we can't do anything else. And you know what that led to? Beatings, imprisonments. Peter himself was thrown in the prison twice. We studied a couple weeks ago on Sunday night, Acts chapter 12. The first disciple that was martyred was James, the brother of John, the sons of Zebedee. Killed because it pleased The community, so the political leader said, I'll just kill another one. Go get Peter and arrest him. We're going to talk next week as we celebrate and honor the Voice of the Martyrs International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. 
brothers and sisters all over the world that are being martyred for their faith, killed for their faith. And if not physically, violence is, is acted out against them. They're losing property. They're losing homes. They're losing possessions. Their villages are being burned. Why? Because they dare to preach of what they've seen and what they've heard, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great blessings come to the disciples, but great storms come as well. You see, the reason the disciples had strength in the storms of life and in ministry was because they knew they were going to arrive on the other side and be with Christ. They were living with an eternity focus. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, I believe just as much as this is a picture of the disciples' lives, this is a picture of our lives in Christ. This is a picture of our lives in Christ. We are in the storm now. This is the storm. It heightens, it lessens, it maybe subsides or seemingly subsides for a moment, but we're in the storm. This is not the other side. I don't know if anyone else is excited about that. I'm thankful this isn't the other side. Anyone excited this isn't the other side? You can get excited in church when you talk about things like this. It's okay. I'm just, I'm so thankful. This isn't it. Could you imagine living and this is all there was? This temporal world that we live in today. You see, in or out of our boat, the storm will rage around us. This world is fallen and sinful men continue to make sinful decisions that affect all of us. We find ourselves going through trials and struggles due to the choices of others. But before we get too hard on those around us, before we start doing a lot of this finger pointing, we're so good at doing. We're even better at it in the church, I think, than even the world around us. We also make decisions that bring storms into our lives, into our homes. And when those storms arise, we cannot forget the words of Christ. Take courage. It is I. Be not afraid. What kind of storms are we bringing into our homes? What kind of storms are we allowing into our lives? Well, what kind of choices are we making? And again, I can't speak too much to this for anyone else, but as a Christian man, I can speak to my role as a father and as a husband and as a man. And so I'll talk to the men for just a second here. If you're married and have a family or you're a grandparent, what storms are you allowing in your house because of your choices or the lack thereof in the choices you're making? You say, well, what are you talking about? I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm doing my best I can. I'm coming home. I'm working hard. I'm not making any bad choices. I'm not living in open sin. I'm not sitting, you know, out in the open. Okay, that's great. But what purposeful decisions are you making to limit the storms in the lives of those in your home? Are you praying with your spouse? Are you praying with your kids? Are you encouraging them to be in church? Not just when it feels convenient, but you're making a decision to say, no, as a family, this is an important role in our home. Because here's the thing, Dad. Here's the thing, Grandpa. The storms are going to come, and are you going to help your children to be prepared for that storm or not? And if you keep them out of church, don't set the example of prayer and don't set the example of Bible study. I'm telling you that they're going to get hit by that storm harder than they needed to. So, so and, and Mom, this goes for, us, for you too. I understand that, but I'm talking to us men for a moment. And I'm so amazed that so many men that I meet throughout the course of my ministry that are just great, hardworking men that, that work hard and provide for their family and set a great moral example and they love the Lord. And, and yet when it comes to the little things of the Christian faith, 
are lacking. They just, just don't make those things a priority. Well, I work hard. I get up early. So, so, okay, get up a little earlier and get in the word. What's 15 minutes of sleep versus 15 minutes of investing in your spiritual life? And listen, I know some of you, if we're being honest, some of you, you don't have a Christian spouse. Your, your husband or your wife isn't saved. And so you're trying to pull a lot of this. Don't, don't see it as a burden. It's a blessing. Keep your eyes on the Lord and do all that you can do and God will cover the rest. If you're here and you have a spouse that isn't committed to Christ, maybe they're saved, but they don't really care about the things of church. They don't care about the things of God. They're not really invested in those things. And I know it's a burden on you. You just keep your eyes on the Lord. You keep doing the best you can. And God's grace is there to make up the difference. This isn't about making anyone feel bad about anything or guilt anyone or anything. It's about asking, what is the commitment you've made before Christ? Is it truly to be a follower of Christ? And if it is, the Bible says in 1 John that when people see you, they should see Jesus. You should walk as he walked. And so again, when storms come as they do, the choices we make directly affect our preparation for the storm. I think of it when you know there's a storm coming in our world today. You know there's a hurricane coming and you lived in an area that's familiar with that. You see people boarding up their windows and getting things ready and preparing some food and getting the gas for the generator. Up here in a little bit, as much as it, hey, I hate to say it, snow's coming, winter's coming, right? Ice is coming and all those other horrible, horrible things that I don't know why I live in this state some days. All that stuff's coming. So what do you do? You get ready. You prepare. Why? Because you don't know when the storm's coming, when the 20 or 30 inches of snow is going to collect, but you know it's going to happen. So what do you do? You prepare. Why don't we do this spiritually? Why was it that Daniel and the three Hebrew teenagers, most likely, were able to withstand withstand and resist the command of the king to eat the meat and violate the law of God? Because it says they purposed in their heart. Before they ever got into the captivity, before they ever got into the storm, they purposed in their heart, we're not going to defile our bodies against our God. And so, listen, maybe the storm's not raging right now, so are you preparing? Are you investing? Are you thinking through, how can I get ready for this storm? How can I help my children and my spouse be ready? Because there's great seasons of blessing in this life, but there's also seasons of storm. When the storm rages... And you've done all you can do, but it still feels like it's too much. You know that Jesus is with you in the boat and there is peace and there is his presence. You see the storm rages and others are consumed with fear and panic. And yet we are full of peace as though the winds have ceased. How is it that we as Christians in the midst of the storm, and by the way, there's storms all around us today. Everything going on in our country, everything going on overseas, there's so much chaos. How is it that as believers we can sit in our churches and in our homes and have peace and contentment and joy? You go to work, your coworkers are panicked and fearful because of the economy and because of this and because of this guy and that guy and who's going to be in the White House and what's going on here. And you've got coworkers that literally are losing sleep over this and you walk in joyful. Why? What's the difference? The storm is the same, but our Savior is with us, so we take heart, we have courage, we don't fear, and we walk in joy. See, we live as though the winds have ceased, and the winds can be crazy, because our eyes are transfixed on Jesus' face, as we sang about this morning. A song that I've heard Dave Aldridge sing, and if he was here, I was debating about calling him up and having him sing it. 
I wasn't going to put him on the spot, though. A song that I've heard Dave Aldridge sing over the years. And honestly, if, you, if you've been with our church for a long time, I remember Marie Wilcox singing the song here in this building, but also at the other church as well. And it's, and it's an amazing song, The Anchor Holds. And as I was writing this message this week, that song kept coming back to my mind and just hearing Marie sing it for all those years, hearing Dave sing it for the years that he sang it. And there's, there's a line in that song that I just could not get away from. And it says this, but it was in the night through the storms of my life. Oh, that's where God proved his love to me. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. You see, that's the moment when we realize the storm is raging, but my God is with me in Christ Jesus. I fear not, not because I can get through the storm, but because he's already conquered the storm. He's already overcome. That is the peace and joy that is found in the Lord and abiding in his word. So let me ask you a question. You don't need to answer out loud, but do you ever feel like your sails are torn? You ever feel like the ship is just battered and it's taken such a beating? Take courage. Don't lose heart. Be not afraid. Because one day we will arrive on the other side. We will arrive on the other side. Jesus said, in Christ, heaven awaits us. There is no storm, no sin, no situation that can take away our confident hope in the eternal security we have in the gospel. Romans chapter 8. If you've not read it in a while, mark it down, read it again. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. By nothing of our doing, no religious work or level of church attendance gains us eternity with the Father. It is all because of Christ, because it is all because of grace. What we have in Christ, nothing in this world, good or bad, can compare. The Apostle Paul says it perfectly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. He says this, for momentary light affliction, that's the storm. Do you ever feel like it's not very momentary and it's not very light? For momentary light affliction is producing, it's effective, it's doing something for us, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So let me ask you a question. Are you looking forward to the day you arrive on the other side? Are you so thankful that you don't have to get there on your own? You see, one day our faith will become sight. We will see him and we will be like him. And again, you don't answer out loud, but do you, do you long to be with Christ, which is far better Do you walk in this life full of peace and worship because your focus is not on the things below but on the things above? Do you get your eyes off the storm and put them on Christ and say, the winds can come, the winds can go, but my Jesus will never leave. Like, it's it's him. I'm focused on him. I'm fixed on him. Yes, the storms of this life are real. They're painful. They're difficult. This is in no way to minimize hurts that people have committed against you. The things that you've done that have caused negative influence in your own life. I'm not minimizing that at all. However, greater than those things, greater than that pain, greater than that hurt, greater than that sin, is the hope that we have amid the storm that one day we will arrive on the other side. 
just as Jesus said. I want to end with just reading John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. This has been a passage that has been, uh, I find myself going to often. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to have a time of invitation. It says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. What is Jesus saying? I'm not lying. You can trust what I'm telling you because you've seen I speak the truth. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Why? What is the whole point of the gospel? This little phrase is the whole point, in my opinion, of how we're involved in the gospel. Why does Jesus want so desperately us to know these things? Here's what he says. That where I am, there you may be also. Why did Jesus die on the cross for our sins? To glorify the Father, to display his grace, of course. But part of this is that he wants us to be with him. He desires relationship with his creation. And he says, I've done everything that has ever been necessary so that in me, where I am, there you will be also. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. We're going to have a time of invitation and response to what the Lord is doing. The praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of invitation in just a moment. And I want to ask you right there where you are to begin to pray. I'm going to ask you to begin to seek the Lord and how he might help you to apply this message to your life right now. If you're here today, and first and foremost, if you don't know Christ, it's not about going to church. It's not about being religious. It's not about being moral. None of those things can pay for our sin. We've all fallen short. I stand before you as a fallen man. I have sinned. I have broken God's law. I am not perfect. And I'm just like you. Because there's no one in this room, there's no one watching online that is perfect, completely righteous, free of all sin. But God doesn't call us to be perfect. He says all we have to do is to respond to the gospel initiative that he's laid before us, that Jesus Christ lived that perfect life that we could never live. And he invites us into receiving the gift of the gospel, that Jesus lived a sinless life, died on a sinner's cross, was buried and rose again. And anyone of any background, of any sin struggle, of anything, of anywhere you're coming from, you can cry unto the Lord and you can ask him to save you right there where you are. You don't got to clean yourself up. You can cry out right now and receive that grace. And so if you're here today and you don't know Christ, maybe you would come to know him today and ask him to save you, to redeem you, and to work in your heart and mind to draw you into repentance, to turn from your sin and trust Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you would say that you know Christ, you're a follower of Christ, and, and you very much know that you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. But yet, there's been times you've forgotten that while the storm is raging, there's a destination in mind. That there's a, a firm arrival that is set, that nothing can take that away. And so maybe you want to respond this morning just by praising God for the guarantee of arrival. 
no delays. It's going to be exactly when God times it to be, and you will be in his presence because of Christ. So maybe you would want to come in just a moment as we sing a song of invitation and bend a knee at the altar and just say, Lord, I'm going to praise you that I know that I know that when I leave this world, I'll be with you. Maybe you want to come and pray and say, Lord, the storm is real. You know the storm that I'm going through. And you just want to lay it before him and ask him to give you wisdom to walk through that storm in a way that would glorify him and bring others to Christ. Or maybe you want to come and praise him that he's with you in the storm. Whatever it is that God is doing, whether there in your seats or here at the altar, if you want to respond, we invite you to do so. Lord, would you be glorified in all that is said and done. Thank you, Lord, for your will that is being done today in our lives, for your word that went forth and that you've been glorified. We pray that we would respond faithfully and openly in surrender to all that you're doing. Lord, glorify your name in all of this. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we sing a song of invitation? Would you like to come and pray? Husband and wife, mom and dad, individual, come and pray. They're in your seats or here at the altar. Would you respond?